0: Are you creative? Or do you suffer from feeling like an imposter? Are you anxious, perfectionistic, or struggling? Today, we are talking about all of these things in a far-reaching conversation with mixed media artist and retired psychologist, Rachel Davis. From increasing creativity when you don't think of yourself as creative, to new ways to think about imposter syndrome, to overcoming self-doubt, allowing yourself to take risks, and some in-the-moment tools to help you when you are just feeling like you're struggling. We're covering all of it and more in today's Baggage Check. Welcome, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonier, and this is Baggage Check, mental health talk and advice with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Baggage Check is not a show about luggage or travel. Incidentally, it is also not a show about why they didn't choose when making the word palindrome a word that was actually a palindrome. So let's get to it. I'm not going to do a big prologue today because there are so many aspects of this conversation that I found fascinating that I want you to be able to just listen I have as my guest today mixed media artist Rachel Davis, who also just happens to have retired as a psychologist in private practice over decades. She has a wealth of knowledge about the creative process, about the struggle, about imposter syndrome, which she suggests a different name for, and all the ways we can sabotage ourselves when we're struggling. We talk about the surprising links between anxiety and creativity, and how passion might be more important than talent, and also how sometimes it can be good to be the worst at something. You can find more of Rachel's immense work at racheldavisstudio.com. That's Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, racheldavisstudio.com, where she's got resources for people looking to learn more about their own creative process. And on Instagram, she's at racheldavisart.bayarea. Without further ado, here we go. So Rachel, it is such a pleasure to have you here today on Baggage Check. Welcome and thanks for being with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for reaching out. So I would love to hear about your path because you have such a beautiful blend of really... Mm -hmm having had a devoted career in mental health Mm -hmm. and having helped Mm -hmm. so many people over decades and now you're helping people in different ways and you're also able to explore parts of yourself as an artist in ways that you hadn't quite before when you were working so much as a psychologist so why don't you tell me a little bit about your path and where it's gotten you and where you are today okay i'm happy to it's um i've been a person
1: who always cared deeply about beauty and complicated backstory to that I won't go into necessarily, but my mom and I used to look at magazines together and go to museums and we were kind of the only ones in our family who cared about visual beauty. There were plenty of, plenty mm-hmm. of creativity in my family, um, but it was just never like being an artist would have been ludicrous to anybody from my background. Like nobody did that. That was just not something Mm. serious people who needed to have a life and build a life did. So, and I had no natural talent, I would say. And I'm not saying that. (laughs) No, no, I'm not saying that as a diss of myself. We'll get into more of that later. I think that natural, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as natural talent. There is, but I think it's way less important than passion and persistence when it comes to pursuing any artistic life. Mm -hmm. So people will look at my things and say, no, but I can show you early versions of things and (laughs) you would believe it. But what I did have was tremendous passion for it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, fast forward, I became a psychologist, which was another passion. I love people. I've always been a person people came to with their stories. Mm -hmm. So that was a natural for me. And very early on, artists started showing up in my Mm -hmm. practice. I wasn't advertising for them or like saying that was a specialty, but they just showed up. And I just found I was really great with them. Like I somehow got them. I was incredibly passionate about what they were doing. And when they were stuck, I was able to help them get unstuck. I just became a thing that, and then they referred their other people. So it became a thing I did a lot. And I would dabble in art here and there, you know, take a little class here, a little class there. And then I'd say around 2016 or 17, I started getting seriously obsessed. And when I was facing my 60th birthday, I was planning a trip to Japan because I've done Japanese flower arranging for decades, which is is an art form, but I didn't recognize it as such. Um, But I just wasn't feeling like the juice to go to Japan. And what I did want to do was build a studio in my backyard. (laughs) And that's what I did instead. (laughs) And um, and and then I took more courses and I, I got a studio in a wonderful artist collective called... ICB Art's got tons of, I mean, it's like over a hundred artists. It's a super, super, strong group. And I've been calling myself an artist, like legit for real, I'd say since 2018. And just getting more and more involved. My practice was just down to two days a week. And I just decided it was time, you know, with a, with a very mixed heart, because I mm-hmm. love my people. Um, and... So I'm here I am three months in to full-time artist, Wow. And it's, uh, it's, it's been pretty. Incredible. It
0: sounds like such a significant transition, of course, to go from being a relatively full-time psychologist and then to sort of ease out of that thinking about kind of paring yeah. down, but then to truly be able to devote yourself to your art. And yet, on the other hand, It seems like a natural segue you had been working with artists you had been doing a lot of artistic endeavors yourself over the time Uh so it really seems like it was really compatible you know your life now although i imagine just your daily life is so different to be able to truly carve out your own days it's i mean it's weird because i mean i was
1: i've been i've been calling myself an artist and selling for several years i mean it's i've been i've been very much in the art world but I still had the structure every Tuesday and Thursday I had my practice and that was a thing and now it's all up to me so that that's maybe a conversation for another day about how do you adjust to, to not having whatever your your usual structures are yeah that's weird you know that's uh it is it's a whole different conversation but I'm finding my way, you know, I'm I'm finding my way. Being a student helps, like taking mm-hmm. classes, having homework, yes, stuff like that. To be like on that. the
0: other side of it that way. How do you think it was that artists started coming to you? Do you think it was sort of a fluke at first and then word spread and you considered I it think a it was, I, I think it
1: was a fluke. I think it was a fluke. I think hmm. that they were just coming for other things, but mm-hmm. I was when I always find out what do people do what is their life about and I was so deeply interested in their art the art part of their life yeah and it was an important part of their life so and maybe they didn't come to me because they were stuck in their painting or because their novel wasn't getting finished or because they couldn't write the symphony maybe something like that but that I was helping them with that you know that Uh wasn't they were coming to me for just depression or relationships or something like that um but it became something that I was and I I read up on creativity and blocks to creativity and was just always fascinated by it I still am Mm -hmm. because because it just because you call yourself a full-time artist or you're whether you're a dabbler or a full this is super important actually whether you're a dabbler or a full-time artist super successful or just starting out you're never immune from doubt.
0: They mm. they don't
1: go away. Mm-hmm. People have this notion that once that you that it's linear and you arrive and then you don't struggle anymore and that's Yes. that's just baloney. It just is. You have to sort of learn how to deal with the doubts as opposed to that you get rid of them.
0: So Yeah. That's so interesting to hear because I think that comes as a surprise to a lot of people and it ties into people. this, yeah, this this notion of arrival, right? And, and right. I've done a lot of talks on and writing on the myth of arrival that, you know, there will yes, come a point definitely. where everything will fall into place because I will have arrived at this point. And it's such a yes. myth in so many ways. But I think what you're speaking to is so profound in the sense that it can be a myth to imagine that internally something will automatically shift at a certain point right. and you're self doubt will diminish. And I think so many times when people are looking for external validation, or they think, you know, if I actually sell my novel, then I will know that my writing is good. And, you know, in that sense, I think it's really important to know to normalize the fact that doubt exists across the spectrum of quote, unquote, success, in terms of art. Yeah.
1: It's super helpful. I mean, I think at any kind of, I mean, I think it's true for, as you know, from any kind of life, you know, any kind, mm-hmm. any aspect of life to know that and to sort of shift the attention from how to get rid of the doubt to how to cope with the doubt when it comes up, how to backseat the doubt, how to lower the volume on the doubt, you know, all these, all these metaphors about you probably have this language too in some version, but looking at the doubt rather than from the doubt, Mm. that little prepositional Mm -hmm. shift is so powerful, you know, that on a good day, if you're full of self-doubt, you can say, oh, here's, this is the self-doubt portion. Maybe, maybe if you're lucky, you can laugh at it, you know, say like, this is, this is that part where I, like I went to, bed last night thinking this was great, I walked in this morning and it looks like garbage to me. Mm -hmm. This is the point of the day where I think it looks like garbage and later on it's going to look different and I just have to not pay it too much mind. Right. that, that's
0: easier said than done, but that's the task. Yeah. I mean, that is classic cognitive diffusion, right? This idea of separating Correct. and observing Correct. your thoughts and labeling right. them and recognizing that they might be telling you a lie, that they are right. unreliable narrators at times and that you don't that's have right. to necessarily fight them with all of your energy, but you can acknowledge their presence and right. also recognize that they're not helpful, that they're distortions. You know, I I love that language of getting at the fact that having your doubts be part of you and thinking of them as valid and thinking of that lens as a fundamentally accurate thing to look through versus being able to recognize the doubts. Oh, hi, doubts. There you are. You are a distortion. You come up in certain situations. You know, I work with a lot of people with anxiety. It's the same way. Like, there's my anxious voice it's telling me that this is a really threatening thing, but it's also a distorted voice at this time. It's kind of like the heckler in my mental audience. Let me separate from it as an observer and right. disempower it in that way. And I, I that's
1: absolutely the way I've led my practice and the way I tried to lead my my art life with mm-hmm. myself and with the people that I've worked with who are struggling with artistic stuckness or whatever roadblocks they're at. but. Sometimes, again, it's easier said than done. And I think it's also important to recognize when you're in the throes of a really bad, like it's not just a little self-doubt. It's mm-hmm. like you're paralyzed and it's horrible. Yes. And then I think, I, I really think it's good to just sort of turn your attention to how do you know that? Like, mm-hmm. and maybe it's that you're repeating yourself, that it's really getting vicious in there and that you can't stop. You can't get off the treadmill. And then mm-hmm. I think it's like, you, it's good to have... Like your people who you can call, they're on call for you. And Mm. you say to them, I'm going to call you when my brain just won't work. And I just, I don't even want you to try to talk me out of it. I just want you to tell me some jokes or take me to the movies or do something until it passes, which it will. But right now I'm just like, pardon my my French, I'm just like a nut job. You know, when I say that in, you know, self-love, but I'm just, I recognize that I'm beyond the reach of reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's mm-hmm. not a big deal. But it is important to recognize so you don't like lose a lot of time and right. you know. But just kinda be by my side so I'm not alone with my misery, making myself more miserable and extending my suffering. I was all about like reducing suffering and with the art increasing joy you know, because and so that's why it's important to recognize when you've really got off your own deep end. Yes,
0: Um, for sure. For sure. And I find in those situations, sometimes too something just more physical too, a change of scenery, like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna turn my attention elsewhere. I'm gonna take a walk outside in the cold, fresh air. And it's gonna just love it. It's gonna get me out of that pathway. Or I'm gonna do, you know, a minute of running in place or dancing to a song just to get that physical part. You know, there certain yoga poses that are devoted to like, okay, let's let this go and like, let's tune ourselves elsewhere. But you said something so striking to me, the reducing suffering and bring in joy. That's such the heart of the artistic experience in some ways. And I wonder if you could speak to just this notion of creativity and how valuable it can be. Because I think some people are probably listening and they're saying, yeah, it would be great if I had the tendency towards being quote unquote good at art or whatever that means, or if I had the inclinations, but I don't know what I would do. I don't know how to be creative. I don't know how to start that process. And I know it's maybe good for me But I don't know where to begin. I mean, first of all, we know creativity can be very good for our brains, no matter where you are on the spectrum of having an ability in some form. Right. Where do you even begin thinking about the benefits of creativity and and how to try to approach that for the average person? I'm gonna
1: gonna make a note because I wanna get back to like a two-tier way to reduce suffering quickly. So Mm -hmm. we get to that. We'll get back to that later. Wonderful. But to your question about how to get started. I think one of the principal problems is that people get very binary about it. They get mm. either you're creative or you're not creative. Hard mm-hmm. stop, hard division. And never the twain shall meet. And it's a terrible disservice to people because the I'll start with the benefits of creativity, which are the, the principle, when you and I talked about it briefly before, having been a psychologist for so many decades, one of the things I noticed about anxiety, which is the most common thing people come to us for, is that anxiety is an incredibly creative pursuit. It's, mm-hmm. uh, when, you're, when you're in the throes of anxiety, you're making stuff up. You're mm-hmm. making stuff up sure. about the past about the past like if only I had done this scenario and people can be very creative with the scenario that would have worked out better rather than the one that happened and mm-hmm. spending a lot of time retrospectively authoring something that has already occurred differently mm-hmm. so making up a story or they're projecting into the the horrible the many horrible things that can happen in the future with excruciating detail and I don't mm-hmm. mean this to be cute I mean I mean people as you know it's excruciating. People are in tremendous suffering in what they're telling themselves might happen. So right there, that's creative. And Mm -hmm. I was always asking, that was part of my intake process when I worked with people, do you have any creative pursuits, any hobbies, any things that you like to do? Often people didn't, but often people did, they just didn't label them as creative. It might be that they loved improvising in the kitchen. It might mm-hmm. be that they love, they went crazy decorating the cakes for their kids' birthdays. Mm-hmm. It might mean that they um, loved shopping at thrift stores and, with, and they were the one that their friends called because they really knew how to pull stuff together. You know, mm-hmm. there are all these ways that they were mixing things up and trying new, new pathways and not just doing things, you know, like line, 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 you know, like in a line. Yes. Uh, meandering, taking flexible paths. And so I would say, you know, creativity is just like, if you find something, and I'll I'll work with you to help you know what that something might be, given what you do already. But if you turn your attention to the creative pursuit instead of the creative anxiety, Mm -hmm. you can't do two creative things at once. Like, your mind's going to be busy. Yeah, Your mind's going to be busy in a much more pleasurable way. Like, if you're making stuff up, let it be stuff that gives you joy and that afterwards you either have something to show for it or you have a higher mood, which you will,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: when I get into a tangle about how I'm stuck about my art, which of course I do, there is no getting out of it in your head. None. Mm-hmm. The only way to get out of it is to get into the studio, even if you're doing crap. Pardon my <laughs> me. You know, it's going to be because then at least you have some stuff to respond to and you can see like that's wrong. That's not working. And let me try this. Mm-hmm. But you're gonna feel better than if you spent that half hour in your bedroom obsessing about how you're not making progress. Uh, there's like yeah. no way, there's no way anybody's gonna feel better in scenario whatever it was, two versus scenario one where you're actually working.
0: Yeah. Well, it has so, a parallel too to that idea of how do I become a writer? Well, you start writing. Right, right. right. <laughs> That's right. That's you know, right. even for people without writer's block, it's like there's no way forward but to do. Correct. So you just start doing. And like you said, no matter what the quote unquote quality is, the process yeah. itself is the step yeah. that you need. And I love that idea of the creativity of anxiety because it's true. I mean, some of yep. my clients with anxiety... That. If they were to write their worst case catastrophic scenarios into a book, it would be a thriller novel, right? Like, and then this happened, and then this car crash came out of nowhere. And then my my kid's peanut allergy turned into this devastating thing where they were dead within seconds of going to school or, you know, whatever it is. Exactly. And it's like how interesting to try to point out that that creativity can be channeled into something that can take their attention away from the catastrophizing and into a new pursuit it really reminds me of the way that some of the most talented artists or poets or dancers or musicians or comedians are coming sometimes from a place of struggle and challenge and pain but they're turning it into something of beauty of joy of growth there's such a parallel there in that process and i love how you can bring that out in people by helping them see it that way that you know you're already telling yourselves these very creative stories what would happen if that was channeled in a more
1: into something different like yeah yeah.
0: the other thing that the other huge
1: benefit i see to creativity for people's lives besides reducing the suffering the anxious Mm -hmm. creativity is the flexibility Mm -hmm. because a common thread to all truly creative people is flexibility. And as I'm sure, you know, like flexibility is probably the most important thing in mental health is Mm -hmm. flexibility. Mm -hmm. And to be creative, you have to be free to roam. Yes. (laughs) You have to be free to change it up. And like when, and like you said, sometimes it's really important if you're stuck in your head to get up and move like that's changing it up. There's Mm -hmm. all different ways to change it up. You know, um, one of the best ways for an, any kind of artist to change it up is to like, it might be many musicians play different instruments. Mm-hmm. They might go to a different instruments. I don't know if you saw the Beatles documentary on, yeah. Yeah, they were all like, they were all like wandering to the, each other's instruments. I mean, they it were. was thrilling to watch that, you yes. know, to, and I and sort of like could see things, Get loosened up when they did stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I I think that when you are exercising a creative muscle again, whether it's in the kitchen or like in the in the or maybe you lead nature walks and the, it, it really doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're doing that, you're being creative and you're going to notice different new things. Mm-hmm. And a hallmark of depression, maybe rumination, like we we know, rumination is when you're going. Around and around and around mm-hmm. in a circle, and nothing's shifting. That's and it's super highly correlated with depression. Yeah. And when you're being creative, when you're just looking for different answers, you're looking, you're asking yes. different questions. It doesn't mean it solves it, but it breaks that like downward spiral of misery. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was always when I was working, I was very big on telling people not to be. You think it's just thoughts, but those are dangerous thoughts, man. <laughs> you like. <laughs> be be on guard for that kind of stuck thinking. The
0: stuckness, yes. Yeah. And that's uh, what we've really learned with some of the research is that it's not the negative thoughts per se, it's the negative thoughts becoming sticky that really right. is associated with anxiety and depression. Because when you're in that rut, you can't see a way out. And that rumination mm-hmm. rut, the pathway just gets more and more well-worn. Right. And there's no right. flexibility. I mean, I think some of the more recent treatment options for severe depression, like things including psychedelics and things like that, they involve the same principle, which is being able to step outside totally, of the normal yeah. neuronal pathways. Right. You know, whether you want to look at it biologically yeah. and say, hey, I'm building new synaptic connections, or whether you want to look at it just more philosophically and say, I'm taking a different mindset. I think right. that's so key and the creative right. process can be so important in that. You know, it's funny you mentioned totally. the Beatles documentary because I was so riveted by that. And it's, yeah. you know, there are many parts and it's very long. <laughs> yeah, <But it> was, <laughs> but I it, thought it was it, great. I thought yeah. it was phenomenal precisely yeah. to see what goes into what is really regarded as some of the most inspired pop music of the last century or rock music, yeah. depending on how you classify it and see the process. And see yeah. inspiration strike in very strange ways to these larger than life personas and looking at John Lennon and looking at Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr and George Harrison yeah. and seeing, hey, sometimes they're just noodling around, you know, shooting the breeze, and then bam, yeah. There's the hook to get back right there coming yeah. up. You I know it was
1: really exciting. Was, <laughs> but again it was there was there was a looseness, thing. yes. You know, not that there was tension, and the tension's important too. This is right. that when I talk about, jo- I really want to make a distinction between joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's not about you know, don't worry, be happy. That's that's yes. not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you know, that joy is a sort of a rightness with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and an openness mm-hmm. to things, and those might be sad things, but they're not like yes. down things. They're it's just it's more like a, an openness to like a fullness. Yes, that's what I'm really describing. And I think in general, people struggle with that. But I think in America, we struggle with that. I notice that, for example, now, since I'm retired, people will say, how's it going? And I'll say, you know, I love this. And this is this part's hard. I'm still adjusting to it. And people will say, oh, so do you want to go back? (laughs) <laughs> like, people, and I say, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not yeah. saying, yes, I miss my people. and I miss I'm miss. i not saying I want to go back. I'm saying it's complicated. I'm saying this like mixed feelings. There's full feelings. Right. And I think creativity makes room for all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. But you're so right. And that's something we talk about all the time, the sort of toxic positivity of American culture, yeah. like, uh oh, well, if you're struggling with this, we need to fix that. We need to right. undo it. If retirement is a challenge in certain ways, that means that you shouldn't have retired or, you know, whatever. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Because as you said, yeah, the depth of true happiness, I think it's really important we understand, contains struggle. It's about engaging with life in the fullest extent and showing up. Even for the tough stuff, because we have really learned a thousand times over, whether it be case studies or larger meta-analyses, that the people who have nonstop comfort and ease and pleasure at their disposal often flame out because there's no purpose. There's no meaning. There's no challenge. There's no opportunity for growth. And I think a lot of people really associate, oh, the opposite of depression is being happy all the time and everything's going comfortably (laughs) and easy. And oh, retirement is the best I've ever felt about anything. And there's nothing that I would change. And there's nothing. And it's like, no, no, no. Being able to find meaning in that struggle and to say, hey, this is tough in certain ways. And I'm mourning for the fact in certain ways that I'm not seeing clients anymore. But look at this other thing that I've got. That's yeah. that's the heart of it, right, is really yeah. engaging and leaning in and saying, I'm going to feel all of it and I'm going to show up for it.
1: And it's not even the but it's like um, it's and I'm feeling this. Yes, you know, it's, exactly. it's and and like all these things, I, all these things make room for all of them. Yeah. And, you know, that with, for the people who like don't know what creativity would look like. I would ask them to broaden their definition of what creativity is, mm-hmm. you know, like if you say to yourself, well, you know, Picasso's creative and therefore I'm not, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's going to be a tough one for anybody. And, when, you mm-hmm. know, one of the things about him that made him so creative is how freewheeling he was in what was creative, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. he did everything. Nothing was off limits. Um, I think people often give themselves these rules. Like I, for example, I do figurative work. I do representational work and I do abstract work. Mm -hmm. Um, Do I struggle with that because I should have a coherent body of work and people should always be able to know what to expect when they see me? Yeah. And I really don't want to be pinned down. You know, Mm -hmm. I really want to old enough. I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing a one particular thing. I want to yeah. do what really jazzes me. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that makes us more, again, that just opens up more channels for creativity. Yes. And I'll have to, I want to get better. You have to spend time at something to get better at it. that's true. I'm not saying that's not true. Yeah. But basically don't get so rigid about what constitutes creativity. Mm-hmm. And then more doors will open up to you. And I just know your life, I'm such an evangelist. I mean, I know your <laughs> life will be better for it. You know, yes. <laughs> that a, a life yeah. without that is not as rich as it could be. And I really believe it's open to anybody that it's, if you have passion for it, and if you hang in there, sounds so, um, doesn't sound like fun. Mm-hmm. I, I do think people should pay attention to what's fun because yeah. um, the, the theory being, if it's fun for you, you're likely to show up more. And if you show up more, you'll get better at anything. Yeah. So, you know, pay attention to whether it's, if it's in the visual arts, if you if you like charcoal, do more of that. If you like music, do you like riffing? Do you like mastering something? One's not better than the other. Yeah. And sometimes once you get into something, again, don't think like, oh, I love this, so I always have to do that. I mean, you might want to yeah. change it up. You might love it for six months and then kind of get spent. That's fine. Yeah. Or you might, some people, some people love the same thing. Some people have been painting the same flower for 25 years and they're magnificent, (laughs) you know, because there's something about it that galvanizes them. Yeah. And some people need to change it up more often. So just respect your own proclivities and go with them. Mm -hmm. And don't like, especially if you're not going to be an artist, but you want to bring this into your life, like just what lights you up? I teach these workshops, and I'm in my studio now. I teach these workshops (laughs) here, and I have all these materials that people can have at. When I'm setting them loose, I said, like, just, like, watch for the ping. Like, Uh. don't think about it too much. If you love that blue, go for it. You know, if you like this paint, like, and and colors are really strong, like colors people love or hate colors. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but don't argue with yourself, but really notice. You know, Mm -hmm. as you you know, noticing is very important.
0: Yeah. So being that observer and also letting yourself prioritize fun for its own sake, for the process of it. And this is something culturally that I think Americans struggle with. And I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, people gave themselves permission maybe to do something for its own sake. It's like, well, my social schedule's wiped clean because we're not gathering, so therefore I will bake some sourdough bread or I will do you know, a a little craft or I will try this home improvement project that I wouldn't have been able to devote a Friday night to before or whatever it was. And we saw this brief little resurgence of people allowing themselves, I feel like, to do creative things for their own sake. I mean, I remember trying a bunch of things that, By external measures, I was terrible at, but it was kind of fun. Just for the fun. Just
1: for the fun. Right. Right.
0: And I think as life started to intrude again and we're coming out of the pandemic in so many ways, I don't know that people can give themselves permission to the same extent to do that. And I can't help but think that that's a real detriment because I actually have spoken to some people professionally and personally who have had a little bit of wistfulness for that time they say wow there was parts of that time of life when things did feel less rushed when i didn't feel guilty for spending a whole saturday morning noodling around on the guitar and there was a beauty in that and i wish we could find a way in our current culture to allow ourselves the permission to say you know what this is valuable for its own sake even if it doesn't feel quote unquote productive in the ways that we're used to expecting ourselves right. to be productive Right. let's bake the pretzels again i mean <laughs> that was really fun you know, I, I remember baking sourdough pretzels and being like this is the greatest and have i done yes. it since 2020 probably not
1: that's really interesting you know because I, I what i'm about to say i almost hate saying but i feel like you almost have to sell that in in this like sort of high productivity, high value of productivity culture, you have mm-hmm. to say, well, it's going to make you more productive.
0: <laughs> I, think, I know, that doesn't to like, have to be the reason, but it's true. Right,
1: yeah. but, but, and, but the fact of the matter is it actually will. I mean, like when you, when you are, it's, I, I, again, I hate that it has to be pitched that way. Yes. But it is true that, you, mm-hmm. that when you have the looseness and flexibility and joy that comes with any kind of creative pursuit, Mm -hmm. You're just better at the rest of your life. You're better at your relationships. You're better at your work. You have more creative solutions to bring to your productivity.
0: Yes, (laughs) it's true. Because it goes back to that flexibility idea and the cognitive flexibility. And I've done a lot of work in that in terms of helping people in workplaces increase their cognitive flexibility. And creativity is such a foundational part of that, just allowing themselves... And I think there's risk taking involved in creativity too. Like you said, you know, the whole idea of creativity is wandering in different directions. Some of those directions are scary, especially in our culture that says, well, the finished product has to be a good achievement. Otherwise it was wasted time, right? So I know you've done a lot of work on, you know, what most of us would call imposter syndrome. Um, Mm -hmm. How does that all connect to this? It connects a ton. And um,
1: as we've spoken of, I'm a very big on the rebranding of imposter mm-hmm. syndrome. I want to debrand it down to imposter phenomena mm-hmm. because a syndrome, again, as you know, a syndrome needs to, like, it's not a diagnosis. A diagnosis needs to distinguish between people. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about imposter syndrome, which is a se- imposter phenomena, at least even though I'm an evangelist for not calling it that. <laughs> um, um, but imposter phenomena is ba- the reason I like the word phenomena instead of syndrome is a phenomena is something that comes and something that goes, at mm-hmm. least as important. It's yes. something that goes. Yes. Um, the characteristics of it are that you feel fraudulent in mm-hmm. what you're in- attempting to do. And that the results of that feeling of fraudulence, you're going to be found out. And the consequences for us as social mammals are grave. The consequences of being found out as less than Mm -hmm. are that you will be extruded from the group. That's basically what it's about. Yeah. Um, Now, this just comes with the territory of being human. And if you ask people, if you sort of tell people this is a diagnosis, have you ever in your life felt like you were a fraud and you weren't quite up to the task and that people would find out and it would have negative consequences? 70% of people would say, yes, that describes me Mm -hmm. at some moment in my life, in some fashion, maybe paralyzing. I didn't, I couldn't do work for four years, maybe for 20 minutes. I I was late for my speech because I was afraid to go on, you know, and talk. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't distinguish anybody. So it's not a syndrome. It's just not, you know, it's just something that comes and goes. And the critical, the inner critic is some variation of that. They're all trying to protect you from failure from public mm-hmm. humiliation. That's basically what all that stuff is about.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think our job is to recognize it's just doing its job. The imposter phenomenon is just, it's like a signal. There's this guy named Seth Godin. He's a big creativity guru, marketing person. Mm-hmm. He says, if you're a creative of any kind and you're not feeling imposter syndrome, some, he calls it that, imposter phenomena, then chances are you're not out on the skinny branches taking chances. Mm-hmm. Now. So I like that reframe. I also think that if you're having a moment as a creative where you're not feeling it, great, enjoy the, enjoy the imposter freedom, the imposter <laughs> phenomenon of freedom. I don't want you to feel like, oh, I must not be a good enough artist because I'm not suffering. Yeah. Um, but really, it's, you know, it just happens. And our job is to recognize that it's happening and it's trying to keep us safe. But our goal as creatives is not to be safe. Our goals as creatives are to play and explore and learn. Yeah, Um, And that's, again, easier said than done in this culture when production needs to happen. I I have um, one of the people I work with. Her name is Louise Fletcher. She's co-host of um, the Art Juice podcast, which is Mm -hmm. really terrific. Uh, But she says that she teaches thousands of creatives. And she says she's always people say, I want to do this. And she says, oh, well, show me show me all your failed paintings. And they Uh never have any. They never have failed paintings to show her. Yeah. Um, so that's what I've been doing in my retirement. I've been, I yeah. have like a whole pile of failed figure, <laughs> figure paintings because I really want to get better at my figuration. And, you know, every so often it's not a failure or like a piece of it looks good. Yeah. But there's a lot of failures there. And there's this really, we know this, like we know this as parents, mm-hmm. when kids are learning to walk and they walk into furniture.
0: Mm-hmm. we don't
1: say you're so clumsy you should you walking's not for you <laughs> it's so true we yeah do, we don't do that you know we know. They'll know next time they won't bump into that you know yeah. take it a little slower they'll figure it out you, you yeah. need to fail you need yes. to fail a lot to get better at stuff and yes somehow with the arts there's this concept of the gap that you and i talked about a little mm-hmm. bit that ira glass from another great podcast, This American Life. He talks about the gap. Anybody can look it up on on YouTube. But it's the difference between what you see in your mind, if you're a creative, and where you're at so far. And the people who stick with it can tolerate the gap. Yes. They don't look at that like, mine looks terrible. And I thought it could look like this. They don't look at that and say, forget it. I'm not creative. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. They say I'm on a path and it's really hard. This part of the path really, really hard. But I really want to get there. So I'm going to Again, they're not going to arrive. When, once they arrive, there'll be another place they can't. Right. There's a gap. Right. But the people who get that there's a gap and that's just part of the process, they hang in there and they get the benefits of having a creative life, the, oh. all the positives we've talked about.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's such an interesting conceptualization because I'm also thinking... Social media makes that gap harder to bear in so many ways because like there it is, the perfect yeah. attainment of this and right. I'm not measuring up. You know, I used to right. get such a kick out of it. There were various social media things where people would sort of show their fails with various, you know, I tried this recipe from Pinterest or whatever and here's yes. how it really looked. And I love that because I think all too often that gap is thought of in the ways that you said. It's thought of as a problem. It's thought of as an obstacle or a barrier or a sign that we're not doing it right. We haven't arrived yet at the point yeah. where we're supposed to be. And yet there's so much beauty in the gap because that's where growth is.
1: Right, right, yeah. right. It really is. And and I definitely struggle with it too, like right now, because I'm in this learning mode. Mm-hmm. So my Instagram feed looks really quite chaotic and all over the place as I try out all these new things. And the studio, the the collective studio that I work at, we had all these designers come, these high-end designers come. And they were wonderful. They said, you do you, we don't want homogenous art. They were fabulous.
0: Mm-hmm. But I
1: was thinking, I'm following all these designers now and they're gonna go to my feed and it looks like like a student because I am. So yeah. I, I I'm posting the student work anyway because yeah. I do believe it's important to like show people like the reality of of learning yes. isn't always pretty and polished. It can't yes. be. Um, yes. So I do it, and people are. I find people are very grateful. Like if one person in a group is brave enough to say, "I can't do it," look at my look. Everybody said, like, "Yes, I feel the same way too." You know, people are so relieved
0: to yes. have it
1: acknowledged. Yeah, as possible to to be struggling publicly. So right. um, but it's hard.
0: It's hard. It is hard because I think there's always that tension between: Am I doing this for the finished product, or am I doing this for the process itself? Right. And I love to knit. I've knitted since I'm a little girl. And sometimes I get. There
1: we go. There's your creativity. It is. (laughs) I
0: I love it. And it's funny. Sometimes I'm more focused on, oh, this person's having a baby. So I got to finish this sweater by the time the shower comes. And that's a little bit different than, huh. I might not ever weave in the ends of what I'm making here. And that's okay. Cause it feels soothing just to knit yeah. itself. And maybe there's a new stitch that I learned and that's cool. And maybe nobody's ever going to get this cause I'm never even going to finish it, but the process itself is okay. And I think it right. took me a long time to come to terms with that. Like, uh Oh, you know, I was notorious for starting sweaters for my kids. And then by the time I came close <laughs> to finishing, Oh, this is no longer something that will fit them. But then I realized, well, the process itself, was valuable.
1: You know, it doesn't
0: always have to be about the finished product. And sometimes I will frog something is is what it's called when you just, you know, pull it all out and use the yarn for something else. And it's like, it took me a long time to realize, hey, that process was still something that mattered and had value and meaning to me, even though it's no longer a scarf, it is now going to turn into some other (laughs) random thing. The scarf is literally missing. The scarf is literally gone. And maybe I spent six hours on the scarf. And in the end, just didn't think it would be something that I would use or whatever. So I'm going to start again with something else. And I think there is always that tension. Am I working towards the finished product as where I'm going to get meaning? Or am I working for the process itself? And I imagine art or composing music or anything like that is the same. You know, I know a lot of writers who will do writing exercises. Nobody's ever going to read it. They might not even hang on to it but the process of writing was valuable in its own right and i think we lose we lose sense of that sometimes in our modern culture because it's about having something to show show for it yeah yes yes,
1: yeah yeah Yeah. and i do in my in the workshop that i teach i do we i use lots of discarded materials like Mm -hmm. things that show up like when i'm not trying to make them but it's a cool mark so i save it Mm -hmm. and it might show up in a different mark it might be like yesterday's trash is now it's just it's it's having a new life and yes. and sometimes it doesn't sometimes it just gets pitched but I just love that idea of again it's not it's not the perfection it's the right it's the process it's not it's not for some of it it's all, all these p alliterations it's not for posterity <laughs> it's it's for play it's not posterity you know that's like yes. some because people I think when they're starting out they get very rule bound. Mm -hmm. when you're starting out in anything new and my you know they have to use paper that's archival and paint that's archival I'm thinking like the chances of my work being looked at in 500 600 years they're slow they're slim but but if that happens let the archivists deal with it then (laughs) now I'm just going to play and not be too hung up on the on the materials exactly Uh, because that's anything that's a barrier to doing it is not my friend (laughs) yes um so if the rule is serving me continuing to work great and if Mm -hmm. it's not i'm going to try to break it
0: yeah because in some ways rules can bring structure in other ways they can be so confining that they tamp down immeasurably on creativity I imagine. And so part of the process is figuring out what rules can be guideposts and what rules (laughs) can be chucked, right?
1: And that changes at different points of a creative process. Yes. You know, like it's not, it's not like, oh, I'll never use that rule again. But right now, that rule is not serving me. It might be serving me tomorrow or in six months.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But just to sort of, again, that's the noticing to check in. Is this working? Is this serving? How am I feeling? Am I feeling? more free to take chances? Am I feeling super constrained? Am I feeling bored? You know, just to do a lot of check-ins with yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the noticing, we keep coming back to that because it's so yeah. crucial. And noticing, I think, in a non-judgmental and self-compassionate right. way, right? I mean, the heart of totally. mindfulness is really just being curious totally. yeah, rather than being judgmental. I'm curious about how this makes me feel. I'm noticing how this makes me think. That's fail. such a
1: great point, Andrea. Mm-hmm. It's such an important point. It's not like, yeah. I noticed that I'm beating myself up and then you beat yourself up. Beat yourself <laughs> up you <know? laughs> yeah,
0: yes. Great. We talk right. about that a lot on this podcast, you know, anxiety about anxiety, Yes, anger yes. about being angry, you right. know, and I always sort of joke that that's like the exponents on emotions, right? That extra, totally, yes. that extra level of judgment, yes. you know, yes. now I'm sad about the fact that I'm sad and it's like, okay, right. well, let's, let's start breaking that down because sadness is fundamentally okay hey we don't want to magnify the sadness because of judgment about the sadness you know and let's help you work through the sadness but let's not berate you or say all the messages that maybe you're weak to be sad or it's silly that you're sad or anything i think we do that all the time because that's a whole nother thing we could spend an entire episode on probably right. is our judgment about certain emotions being unacceptable yes. and, right. and how certain emotions we have so many automatic thoughts about those emotions that we want to reject right. those emotions, they're not okay, yes. Yes. or we equate feeling certain emotions automatically with acting dysfunctionally on them if i get angry then i'm gonna automatically be mean or or punch a wall or something It's like no 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 like anger is okay and we can find functional ways to manage it but that actually ties into suffering and i know you know you've thought a lot about sort of suffering and thinking about how to help you know past clients with it how to help artists that you work with with the fundamental suffering and the truth is A lot of people right now, I think, would say that they're suffering, you know, and that things feel too much, um, that they're still not feeling like whatever anxiety or maybe depression has been exacerbated by the disruptions in our lives due to pandemics, that that still hasn't ever really returned to whatever Mm -hmm. normal should be. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of still uncertainty about the economy. There's, Mm. There's a lot of suffering out there and I know suffering is a concept that you know you've thought about quite a lot.
1: And there's well there's this is not what I'm going to say. I don't want people to think of it as like a quick fix because it's not, but it's just um, just something to remember that can alleviate suffering in the moment. And um, again, I have a it's well, obvious that I have a passionate belief that sort of having a creative pursuit helps you in general with suffering. but specifically like those times when you just are really feeling snowed under. Um, And what I have found really useful with people is for them to literally say Mm -hmm. out loud, um, I am really suffering right now and nothing Mm -hmm. I'm doing is helping. I'm just really, really suffering with tremendous compassion for yourself. Mm -hmm. Not like, you know, like not like that kind of, but to really just sort of just representing it in language activates the part of your brain that gives you some distance. Mm-hmm. just that act of putting words to it and if you pair that with this laying of hands you know of literally putting your hand on your heart while mm-hmm. you're saying it mm-hmm. because we are we're 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 social mammals and touch also activates the I'm going to say I'm only two months out, the parasympathetic nervous system. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> it's calming oh. you down after your sympathetic yes. nervous system went right. all high threat. Exactly. After yes. that
1: language was very ill chosen. But but it activates the calming system. So mm-hmm. both the giving of words with a compassionate voice and the laying of hands together I mean, if you have somebody around who can lay hands on you, but I want to have people, I have nothing against that. That's that's great too. But to be able to soothe yourself in that way, those two things together really help. They're mm-hmm. very, very powerful um, to do those two. So that is something I strongly recommend to people alongside
0: any kind of loosely defined creative practice. Yeah, um, uh, I love that. I love that. And it's such a tangible manifestation of self-compassion. Right? right. To literally be putting your hand in your heart and saying, right. I'm hurting. Right you know? now. Right, right now is important,
1: actually. I yes. think it's important to say, I'm hurting. I'm really yes. hurting right now. Yeah. Because, because everything passes. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to say it's going to pass. You don't have to get preachy with yourself. <laughs> right. But it right. is important to remember, like, this second, this moment in time, I am really suffering. Yeah. Um, but there is the implicit message, this moment's going to pass.
0: Right, Right. but not in that invalidating way that maybe well-meaning friends might say, like, "Oh, you know, you'll feel better soon," or (laughs) which it can fundamentally take away from engaging in the moment and validating yourself from suffering. I think, you know, a lot of a lot of well-meaning people might say a lot of types of things, even maybe discouraging creativity in a way. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and so you'll get better. Like you'll get like I have a teacher now. And he was so, it was such a beautiful response. I'm taking a class where I'm clearly the worst person in the class. I'm not saying that to beat myself <laughs> up. That's it's just an objective statement. And we statement. can embrace
0: that, right? I love that. It's like, I well, love being the, the least intelligent person in a room because, it, you know, or I love being the least, you know, skilled person in the room or whatever it might be because there's so much to gain. From the growth yeah, yeah, of learning from Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. But I have to say, I mean, I was telling him that I was struggling because the people all have much more experience than me in what we're learning. Mm-hmm. So I wrote to him. We, we had to send him our sample, our work samples. And I did. I said, I got to tell you, I'm really struggling with being the worst person in the class because I am. And he said he was so it was perfect. He said he said the um, well, first thing he said was like, take heart, Rachel. So it was very mm-hmm. empathic. Mm-hmm. And then he did not insult me or the work by saying, no, you're not, mm-hmm. or you're fine. Mm-hmm. He said, the point of a workshop is not to produce good work. It's to solidify concepts and to see how engaged you are with the material and give you a way of showing up
0: so mm-hmm. you'll get better.
1: Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Yeah. You know, it was so respectful. And I have been showing up every day. Like it was super. Had he, t- had he reassured me, I would have had no respect for him. <laughs> it like, not it's like that's true. I have eyes. I can see. Um, yeah. But it was perfect. You know, like give ourselves room to grow. Accept that it's going to be hard sometimes when we compare, because we're again we're humans. We compare ourselves. We just yeah. do. And that's
0: okay. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there's a profound message in there for parents as well. I know a lot of parents listen to this show and I'm a parent and and thinking about how we help our kids really accept risk taking and growth and the potential of failure and the beauty in sometimes not being As quote unquote good as the kid next to you, right? I think so many times the tendency is to reassure, like you said, you know, what you were glad that your teacher didn't do, which is, oh, honey, no, you know, oh, but you're so good yourself. And, you know, or, or like, no, 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 you're, you know, you're very skilled at this. And, Right. We know that ultimately that doesn't give them the practice of accepting themselves for who they truly are and wanting to grow because instead now it's like, I mean, talk about imposter phenomenon. If I've been told exactly. all my life yes. that yes, I definitely exactly. am the smartest kid in the class, then I'm terrified of making a mistake right. that might sort of betray the fact that maybe I'm not as smart as I was told. The reality,
1: right? Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. The um, credi- and the credibility factor. I mean, he would have yes. had no credibility with me. In my life. <laughs> But um, but it was all, again, yeah. I felt it was, like, truly respectful of, yes. of the work and the process. It was yes. great. I loved it. Yeah. I just loved yeah.
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been such a pleasure talking to you about these things, because I do think we live in a society where it's really hard to just embrace any of the things we've been talking about, to embrace yeah. flexibility cool. and risk-taking and failure and doing things for their own sake. Even if they don't end up in a certain perfect finished product, and, right. uh, I know that this has been encouraging for folks listening and maybe thinking to how you can start to have ways to, you know to incorporate this into your life and mm-hmm. let go of some of the rules that you might have set for yourself. Some people might be listening and may not even be aware of some of the rules that they have in their own head that they've absorbed yes. about what's acceptable yes. for creative right. endeavors, right. And and what, what
1: constitutes creativity, period, mm-hmm. like what it means to be that.
0: Yes. Well, I can't wait to continue to look at your artistic endeavors. And I think it's been such a fascinating conversation to me. And you really have such interesting perspectives, having come from the mental health field yeah. and now being able to help people in a different way. So I really appreciate your time, Rachel. It's been marvelous. And so for our listeners wanting to hear more about your work and follow you, where should they find you?
1: Um there are a couple of places they can find me. My website is racheldavistudio.com and I think that'll be in the in the show notes and R-A-C-H-E-L. And on Instagram, it's Area. I'm in the Bay Area. And I'm also, I'm doing my um, in-person class now, but I they're selling out, and I always have wait lists, and I'm really looking into doing an online version of it. So I'm super excited. I'm starting to percolate about that. Nice. And it's, I teach people who are established artists and people who have never lifted a creative finger. And mm-hmm. I have a process of working with them that really opens things up. It teaches them creative like sort of composition principles, but it's all it's through a play lens of lots of ways into it. And because I'm a psychologist and have this background, I'll also be addressing in the class, I'll also be addressing how to get it out of your head so you can so you can do this better and with more fun. So I'm excited about that. And if people want, I have a very I have a a PDF, an extensive PDF about a free one that I can send to anybody about
0: imposter phenomena and how to deal with it, so. Oh, what a wonderful resource for folks. That's marvelous. That's wonderful. And just yeah, reach out to me
1: through my website and I'm happy to
0: keep you posted. Fantastic. Thank you again so much, Rachel.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. It was really fun. I'm super, I was delighted to get your invite and it was just as much fun as I thought it would be.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonyer, and this has been Baggage Check with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Join us on Instagram at Baggage Check Podcast. Give us your take and opinions on topics and guests. And you know you've got that friend who listens to like 17 podcasts. We'd love it if you told them where to find us. Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Daniel Merity, and my studio security, it's Buster the Dog. Until next time, take good care.